0: Welcome, this is Philippe Albuquerque. I'm the editor in chief of the journal of Neurointerventional Surgery. And I'm thrilled today to welcome Nimr Adib and Adam Dimitri, who will be discussing their manuscript entitled Comparing Treatment Outcomes of Various Intercranial Bifurcation Aneurysm Locations Using the Woven EndoBridge Device. This podcast is sponsored by Rapid Medical. Rapid Medical pioneers adjustable intravascular tools that offer physicians expanded capabilities without compromise between safety and efficacy. So if you are looking for your devices to do a bit more for you, solutions such as TIGER TRIEVER 13, the smallest thrombectomy device in use, adjust to the vessel, allowing you to relax tension of the device prior to retrieval. For more information, email info at rapid-medical.com. Dr. Adib hails from Louisiana State University and Adam Dimitri from the Massachusetts General Hospital. Thank you guys for joining me on this uh, podcast, discussing this manuscript, which is currently on the JNIS website and will be published shortly in a print issue of the JNIS. Welcome and thanks again. Thank you, Dr. O'Baker. It's nice to be here. So, I'd like to start at the outset. Basically, your manuscript uh, evaluates the outcomes of web treatment at various bifurcation locations, including the Basler terminus and the ICA terminus uh, as well. I will start, Nimmer, by asking you to basically describe your rationale for the study as well as the creation of the World Wide Web Consortium.
1: For the rationale of the study, you know, as you know, like previous studies on the web device, either from trials in Europe or the web trial in the United States, they group all bifurcation aneurysms into one group. And uh, that includes the ICA bifurcation, the MCA bifurcation, basilar, and ACAM aneurysms. And then at that time, like when they calculated the adequate occlusion rate, retreatment, and complication rate. Uh, But uh, as we know, there's a a lot of differences between those aneurysms. Especially, like you know, just with the uh, blood flow and the flow dynamics, uh, the branching patterns of those aneurysms, and therefore, would expect that uh, there might be differences in the uh, treatment outcome. And now, with the once we had the World Wide Web Consortium, we had the a good number to be able to compare those aneurysms at those different locations. And uh, indeed, you know, like as you, we will talk about, you know, we found uh, expected differences between those aneurysms.
0: Adam, could you review what the main findings of your manuscript were?
2: Sure. So first of all, just to, to cover very briefly the rationale why we set out to do this and get to that is that, you know, there are some studies of web out there. You know, obviously the device had its debut in Europe and the WebIT and the Webcast studies were very important. But We wanted to get sort of a real world look internationally at how web is really being used uh, across Europe, South America, North America. Uh, and Australia. And so that was one of the main rationals to do that. And the only way to make that meaningful, um, we felt was to to make sure it was extremely comprehensive, which is why we have 22 and now a a number of new enrolling centers in the consortium. So essentially what we did in this particular manuscript is we broke down occlusion statuses and outcomes in patients um, by bifurcation locations. And so the majority of those aneurysms were the, you know, the feature locations for web that we're all familiar with. So the ICA terminus, the basilar apex, uh, the MCA bifurcation and the ACOM. Of course, uh, we do have some other locations that feature, but uh, these are the major ones that are are sort of what you think of when you think of web. And what we showed um, were really quite good rates of occlusion, um, somewhat favoring the ICA terminus and the basilar apex, although high rates of occlusion for the MCA and ACOM to a lesser degree. And what we see from the the paper um, beyond these occlusion rates is that we have good uh, security of those aneurysms. So the the majority of the remnants uh, tended to be necks um, and that the uh, device uh, is very suitable both to uh, unruptured and ruptured lesions with um, essentially no hemorrhagic complications.
0: You discussed as one of the other locations, guys, aneurysms distal to the anterior communicating artery complex. Can you elaborate on exactly what we're talking about here? Are we talking about pericolosal artery aneurysms? Where along the course of the ACA uh, is this location?
1: Those aneurysms are pretty much like you know, the A2 bifurcation where it gives out to the pericolosal ankylosal marginal is that uh, bifurcation point. And uh, the reason we we have a small number of those aneurysms and, uh, you know, they're not that common. And uh, the reason we put it separately is just because, you know, as I discussed earlier that the, also the flow dynamics and the branching pattern and the angles of the branches is different for those aneurysms compared to compared to ACOM. So we couldn't compare it, you know, like we couldn't group it together with the ACOM aneurysms and given their, you know, it's a bifurcation location, we uh, elected to include it in the study. But it's pretty much, as you mentioned, that's, you know, the branching point where it gives to the pericolosal and colossal margin.
0: Yeah, a a bit more distal aneurysm location, which um, surprised me given the fact that the other locations obviously are are more proximal and more common. Certainly, this is an area where the web may be amenable uh, as well.
2: We felt that it would probably be most faithful to include all bifurcations, even if we had few numbers, given the endeavor of the manuscript.
0: So in general, uh, this study concluded that the web device was uh, used most efficaciously and with the least uh, recurrence rate at the Basler terminus and the ICA terminus. I wanted to discuss a bit as well, some of the limitations of the manuscript in particular. The follow-up periods, both radiographic and clinical, um, are quite short. The imaging modalities in which these patients were followed were also somewhat heterogeneous. And I know this is a a key issue for us who practice neurointervention is how do we follow these patients in the future in terms of non-invasive imaging rather than going to to angiography. Perhaps you guys Mm -hmm. can
2: discuss these
0: two points as well.
2: In terms of follow-up, you know, there's certainly something to be said for the fact that the web became available at different times for our different centers. So our South American colleagues and some of our Belgian colleagues have really quite robust follow-up periods. But of course, those of us in North America just do not have that luxury essentially by definition at this point. And that sort of shrunk down the average, whereas you can see the range is quite wide. And as regards imaging modalities, it's true, you know, we have to concede that. You know, assessment, for instance, of compaction, which is, of course, a very unvogue vogue issue with web, uh, really can only be faithfully done with digital subtraction in geography. And then the question just sort of becomes, you know, how meaningful is it to um, make that assessment with the, the frequency that we'd like? What is the appropriate frequency? How often does that really need to happen um, because of course, you know, a lot of studies have been done with coils and increasingly with flow diversion, trying to get us away from an overly aggressive DSA paradigm. But of course, you need evidence to make that kind of uh, switch. And so one of the things that our consortium will do is probably explore that. We have a lot to look at with compaction, and eventually we'll have to tease out um, whether we can sort of agree on an imaging paradigm and try to at least make a Statement that's that's based on experience because um right now interventionalists I think are going on gut based on um, experience with other devices and you know the experience in their careers and, and neurointervention is is a is a field fraught with anecdote and, and instinct and we of course want to harden everything into evidence as best we can.
0: That's an excellent point. We're always we're always looking to solidify our methods and our follow up. Can you discuss a bit, uh, nimmer or Adam, the follow-up uh, clinical period, which in this manuscript was was somewhat heterogeneous as well?
1: Same thing as, you know, what Adam mentioned is that, uh, you know, given that this includes first, like, you know, includes several centers and each one has its own, you know, protocol for following up patients that include, you know, like the added to the uh, heterogeneity of the, of the results. And at the same time, like, you know, we still don't have, you know, solid evidence and First, like, and just when do you actually need to see those patients, or when do you need to acquire uh, the images? So, um, still, like, and just the many times, like protocol, the patients get seen. Sometimes at one month after the procedure, sometimes, like you know, just the first will be six months after the procedure, and then a year or so forth. But uh, same to uh, radiologic uh, follow up that added to the heterogeneity of the findings that we have. So like in some patients, will be, we only have follow-up up up to a month, six months, a year. In few occasions, you know, those uh, European centers, like, you know, where they have much longer follow-ups because, you know, they had a longer experience with the web device. But in in all of those follow-ups, like, you know, just the thing with what we found out with the data is that most patients still, you know, did very well after the procedure clinically. And, you uh, know, most of them was the modified ranking score, zero to two. So, like, it just pretty much independent. And uh, we haven't seen differences, like, just based on the length of follow-up.
0: You also evaluated outcomes in patients, obviously, but these, were, these outcomes were all assessed by the individual centers themselves. How does this uh, interject bias into the results of this study?
2: Well, there's no question that you know self adjudication is a major issue across intervention, even cardiovascular. It is definitely a limitation of this study that we don't have a core lab. But that is, of course, a, a huge endeavor to get together, and it is a goal of the consortium. It just wasn't realistic at that time. So we do have to concede that we do have to put some hope that um, you know at least at least members of our community tend to be sticklers for accuracy on imaging. So. I'd like to hope that uh, our occlusion statuses uh, were accurately reported and uh, also our clinical outcomes for that matter. But uh, there's no question that uh, if we have the resources, and of course, the consortium has received a great deal of attention, so we may be in a position to mobilize a core lab. I'll uh, have to stay tuned to find out.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: certainly. That's, uh, that would be fantastic.
1: I was going to add something like you know about the variation pull-ups that we have, and that's a uh you know, added one benefit to us where we, you know, as we work now in updating the database continuously, we managed to get some data about the outcomes of the, you know, angiographic outcomes over time. So, like, you know, just centers that had, at the first stage had like, you know, one month or six months angiographic follow-up. Now we have, you know, like, you know, just 12 months or or more. And that would give us an idea, like, given that we're studying the compaction of the device and like, you know, just what happens afterward. That actually gave us an added benefit of being able to look into this information better. Like, it you know, just we saw that you know someone had a, an occlusion rate of like it you know, just it's a say one or two, and then afterward we'll be able to assess you know how the occlusion status is. One thing that I found
0: a bit interesting was that although the rate of adequate aneurysm occlusion was higher in the basilar apex and ICA terminus, there was no difference in the rate of retreatment when you guys were comparing. To aneurysms in other locations. So how do you explain why a reduced rate of occlusion was not associated with a greater need for retreatment?
1: Uh, there's two parts for that point. First is that uh, there was actually, although we use a, a unified or like it's just a way to assess the occlusion rate, which is you know the, the web occlusion status, there's no actually standardized way of Retreatment. So each interventionalist actually uses a different method of retreatment. Some of them would like retreat any ruptured aneurysm that had not with a remnant uh, neck. Some of them, like it was just any young patient with a remnant neck, would get a, a retreatment. Some of them, like you know, an remnant, think we just keep it and just follow the aneurysm. So there are actually no standardized way of assisting this. And I think that contributed to the, you know, the variation that we had. And um, it, it didn't show significant, statistical significance. The other part for this is, you know, like we also have a small number of uh, free treatments um, compared to the original number of, of uh, aneurysms. And I think despite the variation between the, you know, like the retreatment rate of, between aneurysm locations, I think like you know, the small number that's contributed to not having a statistical significance. But when we combined, you know, like the retreatment rate of um, ICA bifurcation and vaselib bifurcation, the retreatment rate was about 4.5%. And then when we combined ACOM MCA and that uh, ACA bifurcation, it was about 7.5%. And that difference was statistically significant, but we didn't include that in the study because that would be you know, playing with numbers to get significance. But uh, I think those, you know, those two factors are what contributed to not having a statistically significant retreatment difference. You discuss basically that an
0: MCA and ACOM aneurysms perhaps are less amenable to web embolization. Can you expound a bit on why you think that would be the case? What is different anatomically about these aneurysms that, that make Web less successful in treatment?
2: Yeah, I think that uh, you hit the nail on the head, it really is about anatomy and geometry. So I think that when you have a straight shot to the basilar or to an ICA terminus, um, you have a more facile deployment. And I do think, and I think we can probably say this, you know, from experience in our own practices, that uh, the geometry of deployment uh, involves more angulation for the for the MCA and the Acom, and you do notice that, you know, despite your best efforts, you get a little bit more web tilt, which I think lends itself to to some recan or some residua, and then in the case of the MCA, for instance, even the lobulation of the aneurysm itself it's not particularly web shaped you know of course you know it, all that really matters is making sure you get a good cork and um, you know have that intrasaccular flow disruption but nevertheless those complex aneurysms especially ones for which you would um, consider a web with its wide neck really uh, might set you up to to uh, have some difficulty in getting good accommodation of the device this will be a very important uh, aspect for follow-up for us because even you know, while this does present a challenge, uh, it's possible that you know, with adjustments, for instance, the web SLS, you know, hard lessons learned about appropriate sizing, that uh, maybe this is something we will surmount. And there may even be things on the vendor side, You know, we're very tied down to a proprietary catheter right now, and maybe innovations will, will come from that end as well.
0: You do mention a, an, an excellent point, and that's the deployment of the device, specifically in locations like the terminus in comparison to the ACOM bifurcation or the MCA bifurcation, where you're, you're obviously making more distal turns um, and thereby potentially uh, weakening your catheter support. One thing that I thought might be interesting is is to look at the the number of times that the device is is redeployed or manipulated in those those various settings. Because I would venture to guess that the uh, Basler Apex and ICA terminus, the the device is probably placed uh, fewer times or manipulated fewer times. I just wanted to see what you guys thought about that particular point.
1: Yeah, I think that's a very good point. To look into for, you know, like prospectively, like you know, just how many times the device had to be re-sheet or like in you know, deployed again. And I, I think like it you know, just that definitely makes sense. Like in you know, having a straight shot into the uh, ICA bifurcation and basilar as compared to the MCA and the and the ACOM where like, you know, there's like, more complex branching patterns and like, you know, just trying to have that angle into the aneurysm can sometimes be a challenge. So I think that definitely be something that we, you know we can look into um, yeah. in the future.
2: That, that is something that my mentor here at Massachusetts General, Dr. Amon Patel, wants to look at. We haven't looked at these data at all yet, but I think so we can easily anticipate the number of redeployments and even uh, retreating and choosing a different size device probably happens most commonly at the MCA and really bespeaks the problems that we have at that location.
0: Certainly one of the, the main issues that we're trying to address in the JNIS and and through original research and manuscripts such as yours is, how really is this going to change our clinical practice in the future? Obviously, your manuscript um, revealed that basler tip and ICA bifurcation aneurysms showed a significantly higher rate of aneurysm occlusion than the other sites, the MCA and the ACOM uh, and distal ACA. So, what do you think this means, guys? So, should we now just be using this device in, in at the basilar apex and the ICA terminus? How, how does this change our clinical practice going forward?
1: Well, definitely, it gives an indication of, you know, given that the web device, uh, I mean, has been used for about a decade in, in other countries, it's freshly new in the United States. And I think, like, it just it's still a hot topic that we're trying to understand the safety and efficacy of, of this device. And, uh, you know, the World Wide Consortium like, helped a lot with that part, given the large number of cases. The main thing that we try to address in those journals is if the device has the efficacy of other treatment options and the safety of other modalities. And uh, I think, like it just for the tip and the ICA bifurcation, it it almost did. And it shows, you know, very good safety profile and a very good adequate uh, occlusion rate. But for other aneurysms, including the MCA and the ACAM aneurysms, you know, like the adequate occlusion rate was about 80 to 84 percent for those two aneurysms. You know, some of those aneurysms are also like you know, could be amenable for other treatment options that can achieve better outcomes. And uh, we can compare it to stent-assisted boiling and also like to even surgical clipping. You know, certain anti aneurysms could be very easy to clip sometimes, like it's you know, just especially those with the uh, ruptured aneurysms or at a favorable branching spot. Same for certain AK-19 it's like, you know, with a favorable angles that's projecting up or anteriorly, Loch just could be a better candidate for surgical clipping. But uh, even with the rate of 80 to 84%, I think that's not low. I think this also, you know, we can work on improving the techniques of, um, you know, to increase the adequate occlusion rates, including, you know, just oversizing or, you know, choosing other catheters. I think that's uh, something we can work on. But I guess it's, um uh, you know, for now with what we have, I think, you know, we can consider Other treatment modalities, if we can, for uh, certain locations, including MCA or favorable ACOMs. You guys
0: briefly touched on the complications of the procedure and the rate of thromboembolic complications was lowest with ICA bifurcations. In fact, it was 0% in your series and highest with MCA bifurcation at nearly 11% and then 9% with Acom aneurysms, although this wasn't statistically significant. Can you venture a guess as to whether or not you think this was just a, a power problem, a number problem, or, or do you think these rates of complications, uh, the trend that you showed, will bear out with uh, larger analysis?
1: I think it's the combination of both. Firstly, you know, like the Probably with bigger numbers and and uh, larger numbers, that might show a difference. But also now, you know, like this data goes back about a you know about a decade as well. And I bet there was like you know, just a practice trends that had over time lower the the complication rate, and uh, you know that might be something that we you know we also trying to address. But at the same time, we also still expect that those aneurysms with a more complex bifurcation, that like the the MCA and the branching patterns in there. And also the Acom aneurysms and, and their branching patterns can, you know, lead to to higher rate of complication rate as compared to aneurysms. You know, like in we just where the branching pattern is not as complex and the bifurcation angle is also wider. And that include the basilar and the ICA bifurcation aneurysm. That is still something that we also saw in previous studies. You know, where we assess the angle correlation with the stent coiling and how that may correlates with the thromboembolic complications when you have a bigger angle like we just in deployment would be uh, safer and where the complication would be lower.
2: I think that we've shown a great deal of time here, but nevertheless, you know, it's still early days of web, especially, you know, on our side of the ocean. And so uh, I'm very hopeful that when we uh, get more experience with the device, the um, deployment issues that are, people are running into, it's obviously... Best if you don't have your your microsystem and your device hanging out for longer than you need to. And as people get more efficient and their judgment becomes better about device selection, we'll continue to see a trend downward in complication. and And it may, for a time, be be opposed by people becoming more ambitious ambitious about where they want to try to place a web. You know, of course, everybody has the patient's best interests in mind. But you know, as as com- operator confidence increases. You know, so does this to some degree as well. So I think I will see that kind of thing balanced. But by and large, folks spending less time with the device, you know, partially deployed or, or reconsidering devices and certainly needing to, to use a bailout stent less often is going to just see uh, those rates of already minor uh, complications reduced further. Adam, that's a good point,
0: and I don't see that within the manuscript in terms of the bailout strategies that were used mm-hmm. in, this, in this series. Now, Were there a significant number of adjuvant devices that were used, or was this just purely web treatment?
2: You know, they, uh, it really was in a vanishing minority of cases, but we still want to highlight those and drill down onto why those had to happen at all. And so that is actually the focus of our current investigation. So we're nearly done with that analysis. Uh, It was meritorious of its own endeavor. And um, I'll be able to share that with you quite soon. Good.
0: Well, that was going to be my final question, which is, uh, what what is next for the World Wide Web Consortium? What other other projects are you guys um, considering describing this device going forward?
2: So, I mean, those are some of the major ones, as I mentioned. So, you know, bailout stenting and adjunctive techniques are very important to us. Focusing on ruptured lesions is, of course, very important because, you know, the web really does tout as its major benefit the idea that you don't need to use that compared to stent assisted coiling or flow diversion. Um, And of course, um, we're going to take a great deal of care in making sure we do the, the topic of compaction justice because it's such a hot button issue and we really have to nail it. So I'll I'll leave it with those for now, just uh, in case our incredibly talented competition in France are listening. So we don't show (laughs) all of our cards. (laughs) Hopefully we'll reunite for the perfect science someday. But uh, those are the ones that I have my eye on and we're getting swiftly to work on those. Excellent.
0: Well, um, I congratulate both of you on this work. Obviously, there were a, a number of, of different authors uh, from this worldwide consortium on this manuscript. And I, I invite our, our readers to read this manuscript, which is currently on the JNIS website. And it's entitled Comparing Treatment Outcomes of Various Intracranial Bifurcation Aneurysms Locations Using the Woven EndoBridge Device by Nimr Adib and Adam Dimitri and others, obviously. I want to thank both of you for your time today and congratulate you on this work, which, as I mentioned before, will be upcoming in a a print issue of the JNIS. So thank you very much, guys, for taking your time today.
1: Thank you all.